Okay. This is now the Chumash portion, Yitzavim of Tuesday. We are continuing just giving over the words of the covenant God's making now with the Jewish people as they are on the last day here of Moses' life in this physical world, in this physical body, about to transfer to the next generation, to Joshua, and imminently about to enter the land of Israel. So we are in chapter 29, and we're up to verse 15. For you know how we dwelled in the land of Egypt, and we passed through the midst of the nations through whom you passed. And you saw their abominations and their detestable idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold that were with them. So we're saying here, Rashi explains, that you've seen the nations worship idols. And maybe some of you are thinking, I'd like to do that too. So that's why we have now this covenant. That's why everyone now has to take this oath to not serve idols. So you saw their abominations. Rashi says that's a reference to idols because idols are disgusting. They're revolting to God. They're detestable. They, they stink. They're disgusting like excrement. That's why we use the term gilulehem as a reference to the idols because that is a term for excrement. That's the qualities in common of an idol and excrement. You saw the ones of wood and stone. You saw those because those were on the open. The Gentile was not scared that someone tried to steal them. But the, there were also ones you didn't see, the ones of the gold and the silver, because those are hidden in their homes because they might be stolen. Next verse. Perhaps there's among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from being with God our God to go and serve the gods of the nations. Those nations. Perhaps there's among you a root growing gal, gall, and lana, a bitter herb. So maybe there's somebody here today that doesn't want to accept this covenant on himself. It doesn't mean literally, of course, that day. But maybe the covenant that you're entering into today in the future you're going to reject. And Rashi explains this term, Pora Roshvilana, going this bitter herbs. But these are bitter herbs to mean a person, a reference to a person that's growing and increasing in wickedness among the Jewish people now. And it will be that when he hears the words of this oath, meaning, right now we're making this covenant. So maybe when this person here is among all the millions of the Jews and he hears this covenant, He'll bless himself in his heart saying, there's a very interesting phrase, a hard phrase to understand, there's much commentary on it, I will have peace, so I go as my heart sees fit, thereby adding the drunk with the thirsty. Very, very hard to understand phrase, many different ways of translating it, that follows Rashi's commentary, and many different ways of understanding it, so we're going to explain it according to Rashi. So this person here is among the Jewish people, and all the Jews are now entering this covenant, and he's not planning on listening. But he thinks, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to have any problems. He's blessing himself in his heart. He's saying, these curses aren't going to reach me. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to go with my heart to be fit. I'm going to do what I want. To add the drunk with the thirsty. So Rashi says what this means is, God's talking here. And God's saying, I'm going to punish you for those crimes committed when drunk and those crimes committed when thirsty. Drunk means the accidental ones, the ones that come from ignorance, 
Because it's like a person who's drunk and doesn't know what he's doing. Thirsty, a person's thirsty means they have a desire for something. The thirsty means you consciously know the sin and you want it. So normally, if a person's sinning, so to speak, out of drunkness, if it's an accidental sin, God doesn't really punish, or will punish in much lesser fashion. But God says, you're standing here. You're hearing this covenant. You're hearing the impending curses. You're saying, it's not going to happen to me. I'm going to be fine. God says, really? If you're acting that way, because you're going to go and do intentional transgression, not only am I going to punish you for the intentional one, I'm going to punish you for the ones I otherwise would not necessarily have punished you for. I'm going to punish you one for the accidental ones, for the non-intentional ones as well. God will not be willing to forgive him, for then God's anger and his wrath will smoke against that man, and the entire implication written in this book will come down upon him, and God will erase his name from under the heavens. Now, literally, I can't say God's anger will smoke. The literal Hebrew is God's nose will smoke because, so to speak, through anger, the body heats up and smoke emerges from the nose, as I would say very figuratively speaking. Now, obviously, this has nothing to do with God. God doesn't have any of these physical phenomena, but the, it's written in a manner that we're accustomed to hear. And his wrath, as Rashi explains, not that he's... He literally is overcome by anger. This is God. But he dresses himself in a garment of vengeance and being unforgiving. That's how he's going to be behaving. God will set himself aside for evil. God will set him aside for evil from among all the tribes of Israel of all the curses of the covenant that is written in this book of the Torah. Now, in the Hebrew, this only makes sense if you're just following the Hebrew, this is a very long Rashi to explain. It's a very interesting concept of which the Rebbe gives commentary and deeper explanations, but we'll just explain the Rashi. So it says, all of the curses written is Sefer HaTorah Hazeh in this book of the Torah. Sefer, book, is masculine. Torah is feminine. Zeh, this, is masculine. So it's Sefer Torah Hazeh, masculine book, Feminine Torah, masculine this. Obviously, in Hebrew, as in many languages, there has to be a gender parallelism, gender association here. We say, okay, that's what you do. The, what's causing us to question this is in the previous chapter, we had this exact same phrase. And it says, Haksuva, that's written, the Sefer Torah Hazos. Sefer masculine, Torah feminine, Zos, this in the feminine. So why here is this in the masculine? In the previous chapter, this was in the feminine when it's talking about the exact same phrase. The Rashi explains that it really has to do with how the words are grouped. And there's a very big difference between the situation here and the situation in the last chapter. So when it's this in the masculine, it's referring to book, which is masculine. When it's this in the feminine, it's referring to Torah, which is a feminine. So we can see by the marks, the cancellation marks, that these two chapters are broken down in different ways of phrases. Last chapter, where it said this in the feminine, the marks made a pause between book and Torah. So book are written in the book of this Torah. This Torah is the phrase. Book is separate. So, oh, very simple. Torah is feminine. So this is going to be written as zois feminine because it's this Torah because written in the book like so to speak of this Torah feminine feminine Torah is like 
In our chapter, though, Sefer Torah is one phrase. So we're not separating the book, word book from the word Torah, the word Sefer from the word Torah. So as such, it's a phrase, Sefer Torah. Well, if it's a phrase, Sefer Torah, what does that phrase mean? Book of the Torah. The book of the Torah, what's the foundational word there? Book. Book is masculine, and therefore book of the Torah, this book of the Torah, this is not modifying Torah. This is modifying book, this book of the Torah. And therefore, since book is masculine, this is masculine here as well. So, Sefer Torah has this book of the Torah. There's much deeper meanings and reasons, but this is the basic point that Rashi is developing here. The later generations will say, your children will arise after you and the foreigner will come from a distant land. When they will see the plagues of that land and its illness with which God has afflicted it, for insult, a conflagration of its entire land, not be sown, it cannot sprout, no grass shall rise upon it, like the appeals of Sodom and Amorah, of Adam and Tzavayim, which God overturned in his anger and his wrath. And all the nations will say, for what reason did God do so to this land? Why this wrathfulness of great anger? And they will say, because they forsook the covenant of God, the God of their forefathers, that he sealed with them when he took them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and they served the gods of others. And they clustered themselves to them, gods they, that they knew not, and he did not apportion to them. So Rashi explains when it says gods that they knew not, it means even after they worshipped them, they weren't aware that there was any power in them. And he didn't apportion to them, Rashi explains two ways, either the simple way we would understand it, God did not give Israel to the foreign gods as their portion, or as Uncleus explains it, that these gods, gods, so to speak, did not apportion anything to Israel, meaning these gods didn't benefit Israel with any goodness. So according to the first explanation, he did not apportion to them, to them means the foreign gods. God did not apportion the Jewish people to those foreign gods. According to the explanation of Oculus, it refers to the Jews. He did not apportion to them, he did not apportion to the Jews any goodness, any share, any portion from the power, so to speak, of these gods, so to speak. And God removed them from upon their soil with anger, with wrath, with great fury. They cast them to another land as this very day. Because Uncle means he expelled them. Unfortunately, all of these things happened. All of these things came true. The hidden things are for God, our God. But the revealed things are for us and for our children forever. Carry out all the words of this tyrant. So here we just heard all of these curses, all of these horrible things that are going to happen to the Jewish people because they're going to stray from God. How even the other nations will look at what's happened to the Jewish people, what's happened to the land, and they'll be like, whoa, how did this possibly happen? What in the world happened here? So the Jewish people at this point could think, what are we supposed to do? You punish the many for the sinful thoughts of the individual, as it just said. Maybe there's going to be among you one man not taking upon himself the covenant and so and then it says that the whole land is going to be suffering this plagues and this exile and this devastation so here one man is thinking he's going to sin and all of us are going to suffer how in the world are we going to survive and why should we suffer for the thoughts of the individual how can i know it's hidden in someone else's thoughts so god is responding to that by this final verse here the hidden things are for god the revealed things are for us meaning god's saying i'm not punishing you for hidden thoughts if there's someone who looks quite devout, 
But in his head, he has many sinful thoughts. That's not your problem. You're not being responsible to do something about it. But what's revealed, if you see evil in your midst, then you have an obligation to destroy it. And if you do not destroy and eradicate the evil in your midst, then the many will suffer for the sins of the individual. Now, on this word, the revealed things are for us and our children forever. On the words for us and our children, there are dots. And those dots indicate, since there's the same number as dots as letters, that we should remove the word completely. So the revealed things are forever, meaning we, not for us and not our children. We're not responsible. But what do we mean? We're just saying we are responsible. And now the words are saying, remove the dots say, remove the words. You're not responsible. So this teaches us that even those sins you are responsible for, the revealed sins that are in your midst that you have to do something about, but even then, only after they crossed the Jordan. And they accepted another oath, they had another communal oath, by the mountains of Grison and Ava, and then they became the guarantors for each other, and then if Jews sinned publicly, that other people knew about it, and the other people did nothing to remove and stop this evil, then the many will be punished for the sins of the individual. But until that happened, even though God's here saying we are responsible for those, for those public transgressions, not yet. We're removing the words for us and for our children. Not yet. Not until they cross the land, the Jordan, enter the land, and accept the next covenant on these mountains of Grison and Avon.